Good morning, church family. How are you? You look good. Thanks for coming. Really, really appreciate you being here. If you're new with us, welcome to Desert Breeze. If you're watching online, thank you so much. We really appreciate you watching, and um, I really hope you enjoy this message. My name is Pastor Scott, and I get the joy of talking about loving your job today, loving work. Sounds like an easy subject, right? Well, it's not. But that's okay. And the reason why it's not is because sometimes, for some reason, we've made this idea of work into something negative, something shallow. And we really can love our jobs if we look through an eternal kingdom lens. And to do that, we need God. So let me pray. And then I'll read the scripture for today. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, thank you so much for today, this beautiful day. And thank you, Lord, for your word that renews our minds. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we are new creations. We thank you that you have given us all we need, even your presence that gives us a way to live life to the fullest as Christ has promised us. Lord, we ask that you clear our minds and our hearts of the things and worries of the day and to help us to see what you have for us today. Speak to each and every individual heart and help us to see through your eternal kingdom lens. God, through your spirit, speak to our hearts and continue to renew our minds in a way that helps us to know in a greater and deeper way who you are what your plan is, and how we fit into that plan. So Lord, help us to know ourselves better also. We are humbled that you love us so much, that you've given us your written word. And so God, we we ask you to illuminate that to our hearts and our minds through your spirit who you have sent to us that we might learn and grow and be guided by him. And you've done this and so much more through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And God, let that truth just overwhelm us and humble us and create a hunger in us for more of you today and the days to come. In Jesus' name, we said, amen. So would you stand as I read God's word, please? Our reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are under, who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. Please be seated. So love your job. Continuing our teaching series called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And you need to know that as uh, up front here, that as I work through uh, the scriptures, uh, 
Today, I will eventually get to the vocational part and application of what uh, God's put on my heart. Um, and I will get to that because it's, there's, there's something we need to address first. We have a problem, as I, I said on the front end, we have a problem we need to address in our, our, our assumptions and our view of work. Because work, in many ways, has become a four-letter word, right? And sometimes when we work, we use four-letter words. Um, but this is because the word and the idea of work has been perverted like so many other things that are pure and good that God gave us as gifts to fulfill us. And the world has done that. We have done that. We are part of the world. And so we need to understand that when you pervert something, the word actually means to add to or take something away from something that is pure to make it into or to use it for something that it was never intended to be, something bad. And the world has done that with sex, with marriage, with the idea of what it takes to find wholeness, uh, our identity, and yes, even work. So that gives us our first point. Our perspective of work will determine the joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment we find in our work. Now I want to read this next statement because it is a profound statement. It is packed full, but it's not only packed full, it is, it is foundational to everything that I'm going to talk about today. And so the statement is, we exist as instrumental parts of God's functional kingdom and redemptive creation plan. I want you to think about that for just a minute. We exist. You and I were put on this planet. We were made for a purpose. And that purpose is to be instrumental parts used by God functionally in his kingdom and redemptive creation plan. Do we have any Bob Ross fans out there? You know the guy with the big afro does those cool paintings and stuff? Just a real soft, sweet guy with a squirrel on his shoulder. He does painting sometimes, and he's talking to people that haven't painted very much, and he, and he encourages them by saying, if you make a mistake, that's okay. It's just a happy little accident. We are not happy little accidents, ladies and gentlemen, Christians. God is purposeful. He made us on purpose for a purpose. We are not happy little accidents. You can read about why God made us and the purpose which he made us in the first book of the Bible. It's called Genesis. Genesis means the book of beginnings. So what God did was he looked into the nothingness of the universe and spoke everything into existence. He created. That's why we call him the creator. And then he didn't stop there. He cultivated. He he made and ordered nurturing environments for his creation to, to thrive. So he created and cultivated. And it's an ongoing thing because he's an eternal God. So it's never supposed to stop. And it's all supposed to be according to his plan. And it takes work. And at the end of the, that, all that, God said it is very good and it's supposed to be good work. Work is supposed to be good. And we know it's work for God because he said he rested from his work on the seventh day. So why is this important to understand when it comes to our work? 
Well, it's because he created us as a part of the creation and includes us in his plan. How do we know that? Because we were created in his image. And that's point number two. God has designed us for and invited us us to join him in creating, cultivating, and redeeming what he has entrusted to us. He made us a part of and placed us in his creation to tend it, to multiply in it, to thrive in it, and he gave us instructions and work to bring order in nurturing environments in it, just like he did. It's all in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. Again, the book of beginnings. So God's original plan and blueprint is, is what we should follow. Not only back then, it's not just a nice story, it's how we're supposed to live moving forward because his blueprint and his creation plan brings clarity to the confusion and wholeness to the corruption that we find in a fallen world today. It's what we need to look back to when we've lost our way. And we are instrumental parts in God's functional kingdom plan and he's working on us and has given us work to do and as he works on us, it's while we're doing the work he has for us. We are a work in progress and we take a lot of work. In our relationship with him and in cooperation with him, that's where we find meaning. Luke taught about it several weeks ago. He did a great job. It's where we find our meaning, our purpose, the meaning of life. And as we've heard throughout this series, Ray has done a wonderful job to talk about the hope that God gives us in Christ, the identity that we have in Christ. And it sounds too good to be true. But it is true. And it's not true because we believe it or don't believe it. It's true because God does it. That's his plan, and it's going to work out whether we believe it or not, or cooperate with it or not. And as Matthew did a wonderful job last week talking about marriage and families, what did he tell us about? We need to live in harmony with one another, harmoniously, and we need to have the same mind and the same mission. Absolutely true for marriage and families, but I think it goes beyond that. That is absolutely the first and primary use for harmony and mind and message. But that should be true in every relationship that we have, whether it's in our family, our marriage, at school or at work, or you know, as we uh, enter into our community and whatever we do, however we participate. It's all true. And uh, these truths and these messages aren't options for us to find some kind of peaceful existence through self-service. They are actually keys to living life to the fullest to find that peace that surpasses understanding and to give glory to God. His word says that in him we live and move and have our being. And as we look at scripture, we, we quickly learn that it's his plan, not our plan. We're here to bring him glory, not ourselves glory. And guess what? It takes work. It takes work. Work is not a bad thing. And in thinking about the creation story, God did place Adam and Eve in the garden and he told them to tend it. But we can't limit our existence to gardening. Right? 
because God's word is applicable just as much as it was back then. It's not just a fun, a nice story. It's applicable today. And today, uh, agriculture has turned into industry and technology and so many other things that we do to, uh, to make a living and to exist. And so uh, gardening goes way beyond what we think of, or, uh, of work. And um, this word cultivate actually means the act of developing the intellectual and moral faculties, especially of a culture. And so again, it's way more than gardening. Our responsibility um, is, is way beyond that. Think about it. God made us male and female, right? He gave us reproductive organs. And so by doing work, we'll call it, we have children. So in that way, we create, we are invited into God's plan to create a human being. Have you ever thought of that? How profound that is, that God invites us in and equips us with what we need to create a human being. Does that blow your mind? If it doesn't, you're not paying attention. <laughs> a human being with a, with a heartbeat and breath, air in its lungs, and a soul. But God doesn't call us to just kick out babies. We have responsibility. What is our responsibility? We're supposed to create and provide nurturing environments for our children and our families to grow and thrive. We create, then we cultivate. Why do we do that? It's because they are made in the image of God also, and we're supposed to grow them up to be creators, cultivators, and redeemers as God would have them do. And that's how the world is populated. That's how healthy societies are built. That's how healthy communities and churches are built. That's what we're supposed to be filled with. God's crea creative, uh, creating and cultivating redemptive plan for his creation. And again, it all takes work, but it can be pleasurable if we keep our eyes on him, if we do it for the right reasons, with the right mindset. Now, creating and cultivating begins to take a whole new meaning right now. Do you already have a different idea of the work that God gave us to do? It is far beyond just earning a paycheck. So again, we'll get to the vocational part, but there is an enormous difference between just having a, go a, a, a job and being an image bearer and an instrument in God's hand. He does give us the means for sustenance. Even in that story, he gave them the, the plants and the animals and water to eat and survive. But it, even then it went way beyond that. He gives us a mind. He gives us a body with strength and faculty, the ability to teach and do, dexterity, to be able to take care of ourselves. And not only that, he gives us his omnipresence. He will never leave us and never forsake us, God himself. And so he does give us the capacity to do what the world calls about making a living, but stopping there is aiming way, way too low. 
So I want to talk about something super important, not like all of it isn't. Um, as an instrumental part of God's functional kingdom and redemptive plan, we're not just given the responsibility to make a living and provide for your families. But listen to this statement, and I want you to remember this phrase, but we have a calling to live according to our making. I want you to remember that. We are given a calling to live according to our making. And I want to hammer that nail a little bit more. Again, he created us. Not like the plants and the animals. There's nothing in creation that is made in the image of God. We are special. We are made in the image of God. The whole creation gives glory to him, but we are made in his image. And you'll see in verse uh, 127 of Genesis that he made us in his image. It says, so God created man in his own image. So he created us to be like him. That's not a part-time job. That's an existence. In the image of God, he created him. So we were created by the creator of the universe. That is amazing. And there's nothing else like us. And again, he created us male and female that we are to be creators and cultivators as he would be. Now, you have to look at this picture, this, this creation account, the right way. Because work was instituted, it's supposed to be pleasurable, before the fall came. It's not a bad thing, but then the fall came. But before the fall, God said that he placed the man in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The NASB says to tend it. This word tend means actually pleasurable work that reaps a harvest that gives glory to God and blesses man. That's the work we're supposed to do. But then came the fall. Then work became a four-letter word. God said, because you have eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat, there's consequences. And those consequences came with a couple other four-letter words. So the hardest work that a female will ever do, ladies, tell me what it is. Childbirth, the four-letter word associated with that. Pain. I'm sorry, ladies. Thank you, God, that I'm not a man, or I'm not a woman. <laughs> but childbirth is associated with pain. And for the man, the provider, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. And the word used, the four-letter word there is used, is toil. And toil actually means sweaty pressure. That sounds gross and hard. <laughs> and it is. But, you know, when I, when I look at this creation account, and the, especially the account of the fall, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I can't separate myself and get down on Adam and Eve too much because I am who the Bible says that I am. I'm a man that struggles and I am guilty of preferring darkness at times. So are you. But think about it. God said, he put him in the garden. You can have all this, but don't eat of this one tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. So he didn't want them to have this knowledge base of good and evil. What was their knowledge base before the fall? 
just good. So we chose evil. We chose toil. We chose pain. We chose sweaty pressure. So it it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. But you have to remember that this doesn't say that God has eliminated the blessing and the privilege that we can enjoy in his creative and uh, cultivating plan because there is joy in childbirth. There might be pain, but there's joy in, in holding this little human being that God has gifted you with. Psalm 127 says that children are a gift from God. So there's pleasure that might ebb and flow as they grow up a little bit. There might be some more pain to come. There will be, I promise. But there's pleasure in that. And with toiling for men as we go about trying to make a living, there's still sweaty pressure, but there's a harvest. You are blessed for the work that you do. You get to do the work that you do. God gifted you with a heart and the ability to do something to actually make it possible for you to enjoy life and the things in it and to raise a family and provide for them. So God didn't remove the blessing just because he gave us consequence. So after the death of Christ, he gave us something else. He invited us into his redemption plan. And it amazes me because if you look back at the creation account, the redemption plan he did in the same order. What do I mean by that? Through Christ, we are made new creations. He took the old me, made a new creation. It's called being born again, right? So I'm brand new. I'm a little child in the Lord. And then he grows me up and he calls me to go out and share the good news with other people that they might do what? Be born again, be new creations. And so it goes on and on and on. And and he does this um, so that we can, going back to our creative and cultivating, we create relationships with people and we cultivate their hearts that they might know Christ that they might see the blessing in him, that they might find redemption and then go and do the same thing. And this is a major part of what I'm talking about, about living according to your making. Okay? That's our job. And what a great job it is. And there's joy in it. It might be painful sometimes when we share our faith, but there's joy in it. But in too many ways, the culture shapes us instead of us shaping the culture. And we turn the idea of noble, godly work into making a living that glorifies us, that serves us. Now, God has given us what we need to earn a paycheck. He cares about that. But he cares more about our character and our wholeness in Christ and also fulfilling his purposes, his grander redemption plan. God's best for us and his design of us is about the redemption of all who would believe and give him glory. So you can already see how we can redeem the idea of work and actually love your job. And and, uh, are we supposed to enjoy our jobs, our vocational jobs? Yes, we are. Nobody wants to do what they don't want to do. I think we can give more glory to God by doing what he has actually wired us to do. 
but we should be, have joy and fulfillment in any job that we do. But the fallen world and the idea of making a living, climbing the corporate ladder, making our mark, it falls short of what God has for us, and it's no wonder why work has turned into a four-letter word. Now listen, you can, you can try and separate your Christian life from your work life and go win the rat race, do your best, climb that corporate ladder, uh, ladder, win the rat race, but guess what? The winner of the rat race, he's still a rat. Okay? And so that brings us to number three. The kingdom plan of God takes what culture's agenda is and turns it upside down. Turns it upside down. And with a biblical perspective, it's actually turning it right side up because it's already upside down, right? So here's what I mean. Culture says, be first, me first. God's word says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Culture says, step on or over others to exalt yourself. But God's word says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. He tells us to love like I have loved you. And he said that to his disciples while he was doing work, the work of washing their feet. It was not menial work. They thought it was. Peter, oh, no, you won't wash all my feet. But when he understood the concept, he's like, okay, wash all of me. God changes our perspective from culture. Culture says, do what, it, do what makes you look best. God's word says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. And also, God's word says in Luke, take the worst seat at the table instead of the best one. This is all talking about Servant leadership, humble servitude. Culture says your success is the most important. God's word says consider others better than yourself. Culture says always get and do what you want. You do you. I hate that term. Hate's a strong word, but I hate it. But God says if you want your life, what? You die to yourself. You pick up your cross and carry it daily. In fact, James warns us, in chapter 4, that it is our desires that war within us that causes quarrels among us, quarrels and fights. In fact, it goes on to say, if we don't resolve those things, we murder. And it doesn't have to be physical murder, it can be intellectual murder, and it's the same thing in, in God's eyes. So it doesn't say that desires are bad. It's when our desires become stinky and fleshy that it becomes bad. It's when we do the wrong things with those things, our desires. So culture also does something else. Our fallen world perspective um, uses the Bible um, in a particular way, in a wrong way, because of our bias towards serving ourselves. And more so, uh, how the world has perverted servanthood. We see some particular jobs as lowly. And we see people who do those jobs as less than. And, oh, they're just uh, whatever. It's just not true, and it's a bad perspective. So finally, getting to our verses, the first word in our verses is the word bondservant. And that word means slave. 
And when we think about the word slave, we think, oh, slavery. And we put over it this lens that we see of the American history of slavery and what goes on in our world today. And that's not what this is talking about. In fact, there are people that reject the Bible because they use this word and they don't understand the word. And they think that the Bible promotes slavery as we've seen it in American history. That's incorrect. And on the other side of that coin, there's people that use that to exploit wrong slavery by saying, well, if there were slaves in the Bible, it must be okay. That's not what this talking about. Paul was not talking about what we saw in American history, about people ripped from their countries and their families, put in chains and beaten and mistreated and forced into labor. That's not what this is talking about. But we have to know that that still goes on even today. Did you know that there are 40 million people on this planet that are being, that are slaves, human trafficked? 40 million people. Do you know what that equates to? Take every major city in the United States population and multiply that times two. 40 million people. So we have some redeeming to do. We have some creating and cultivating to do. So also this idea of slavery did not mean um, uh, slavery, but here's specifically, it was actually voluntary slavery. If we look at what is identified as an indentured servant, an indentured servant is someone who makes an agreement to serve his master. There's a, there's a, a scripture in Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, where this slave says, but if the slave plainly says... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go free. They're, they're, they're volunteering to be with their, sla- their master for the rest of their lives. They've made a decision. It's an agreement. And it's the same thing with us, too. You don't have to work where you work. You make an agreement. And that agreement comes along with certain expectations. And this idea of bondservant or slaves, it also did not mean um, a social, socioeconomic demotion. Let's think about some characters in the Bible. Joseph. He was, what, by his brothers, sold into slavery. But he had the right attitude. He was, he was for God. He was with God. He was on track with his redemptive plan. And so as life went on for Joseph, his master, who he was a slave to, made him the ruler over Egypt. He had no socioeconomic issues in his life. He was ruling Egypt. But he took his rulership and he used it for the good of many, for generations. That's the idea of this. Even uh, other characters in the Bible, God spoke of Abraham as his servant. Joshua is called the servant of the Lord. David and Isaiah... They were called God's servants. Even Jesus, the Messiah, was called God's servant, capital S, by the way. And even himself, he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so here's the attitude that we need to adopt in whatever work that we do, whether it's paid or unpaid. And so remember when we talk about bond servants here, that means employees in our day, and masters means employers in our day. 
<clears throat> so as Christians, here's our attitude. Christian employees, as Christian employees, we should be obedient in the personal responsibility, responsibilities that have been entrusted to us and accountable to those put in charge over us. It says that in verse 22, the beginning of verse 22, obey in everything those who are your earthly matters. You work for someone, you obey everything that they tell you to do. Not just when you feel like it, not just pick and choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do, but you are obedient and accountable. You have made an agreement. It's your job. Do your job and do it well. What does doing it well look like? It means have integrity, a good attitude, and be honest, working with right motives. The end of verse 22 says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Eye service means just doing a good job when the boss is watching. And when not watching, you cut corners, you make exceptions, you get lazy, you might even do something immoral. No, you're supposed to have integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking and a good attitude and be honest, working with the right motives. You want to work with people like that? I do. But if I want to work with people like that, I need to be like that. We all need to be like that as employees. And we need to work hard to honor your employer and fear God in, in your work with sincerity of heart. That's what verse 23 says. Whatever you do, doesn't matter what your job is, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Now, he's not saying we don't actually work for men. They don't sign, uh, that because they do sign our paychecks, we work for them. But our motive is to work heartily as unto the Lord. That's the attitude that we ought to have. I remember when I, I, first, got my, I first started working here at Desert Breeze, and a guy that I had worked with uh, in the restaurant business a long time ago, he said, so, so how does he sign his checks? Meaning, how does God sign his checks? And so it was kind of funny. Um, but anyways, um, it is super important and fear God, and you'll notice that I put little periods after each letter, so there's an acronym that the world uses. What is it? False evidence appearing real. That's what fear means. But that's not the God kind of fear. God says that I have not given you a spirit of fear that leads to slavery, and that's bad slavery. So we're going to redeem that phrase in the attitude that we're going to have is faithful exaltation and reverence. Faithful exaltation and reverence. And we do that not only in our relationship with God, but with our employer. It'll make a huge difference. That's living according to your making. <coughs> because God has given us great and wonderful things to do not just for work, but as we work, that goes way beyond what uh, your job is. And the point there is there's no earthly reward that will ever compare with your heavenly reward, and that's what verse 24 says. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, not an inheritance. And your inheritance isn't your promotion or your title or your paycheck or your bonus check or 
the perks that you get at work. It's the inheritance. <clears throat> There's a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is going to send 72 guys, two by two, out to do some kingdom work. He says, go out and share the gospel. Go out and heal the sick. Go out and cast out demons. And they're like, okay, we're in. When God sends us out to do that, he promises us that we're going with his power, his authority, and that he'll be with us. So they went out and they did it. And they were successful. And they came back high-fiving each other, doing the happy dance and stuff like that, and came to Jesus and said that the Spirit submitted to us. Woohoo! And Jesus was like, that's great, but don't rejoice in that. He said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So when, when you are not recognized or people make less of what you accomplish at work, remember that your name is written in heaven. And so this, these two comments are not on your, your notes, but I encourage you to write them down first. It has to do with the end of verse 24. Um, how you serve will identify who you serve. How you serve will identify who you serve. The end of verse 24 says, you are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving your Redeemer. You're serving the one that died on the cross for you. And the second is, the second thing I would like you to write down is your eternal, internal motive, your internal motive will determine your ultimate reward. Your internal motive will determine your ultimate reward. Verse 25 says, and this is one application, uh, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. When we lay that over what we're supposed to do at work, this agreement that you have with your employer, there's rules to follow, there's expectations of you producing a particular product or efficiency at work, there's HR rules and stuff like that. God is for all those things. And if you break those rules or don't measure up to what the expectation is that you've agreed to, you'll be paid back for the wrong that you do. God is for that. Just because we're Christians at the, in the workplace doesn't mean we get a pass or we get treated special. And in fact, I, I know of some people who say when they share their faith at work, the, the expectations go up, not down. And so <clears throat> that's one application. The other thing is I wanted to talk about witnessing at work through your efforts. And um, Matthew 6 gives us good efforts about witnessing at work with the right attitude and in the right way. It says, watch out. Do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. God wants you to get reward from work, but if you don't get reward from work and you do it for the wrong reasons to be seen and admired by other people, you're going to lose God's reward because you're doing it for the wrong motives. You're going to lose what he would have had for you and wants for you, not as a punishment, but it's like, man, I had so much more for you. <coughs> it goes on to say, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets and the synagogues and, and the streets and calling attention to your acts of charity. 
says, I tell you the truth, that they have receded their reward uh, that they will ever get. So if, if top of mind, if your top priority is to get a pat on the back from men or, you know, some bonus check that's going to be spent like that anyways, you might have already spent it before you got it, um, that's your reward. That's all you get. But this says, give your gifts privately and your father who sees everything will reward you. So even if you don't get rewarded temporarily at work, God is going to reward you. He's going to reward you. <clears throat> Why? Because you're being a creator and a cultivator and a redeemer and you're living according to your making. And he will bless you for that. <clears throat> So let's talk about the radical difference between living according to your making and making a living. First, making a living. Making a living by the word standards is limited to a temporal reward that can be taken away and will eventually fade away. We can make all kinds of accomplishments, but there's a whole new generation coming behind us that's going to push us aside and we'll be forgotten. That's not to depress you. That's just reality, and to point out that it's a temporal reward. That's not supposed to be where you find your satisfaction. Your job was never intended to rule your heart. It also, making a living, limits your influence to vain pursuits and a fading glory, and it's a forgettable legacy. Anybody watched Napoleon Dynamite? Remember Uncle Rico? Man, that dude was a whack job. He was all about himself. He was a legend in his own mind. Remember, he's got his football. I could have made state. I was so good. It's a forgettable legacy. It's fading glory. And also making a living is superficial service and people-pleasing. And that's if you have the attitude that you're working for men. So again, should you love your job? Yes. Enjoy what you do? Absolutely. But God has so much more for you. Guys, Pay attention. I want you to know that in our Men's 33 class, it's coming up with a new series. It's called A Man and His Work. And I encourage you to sign up for that. So keep an eye out for announcements uh, of when those sign-ups begin. They will probably begin next week. So now let's talk about living according to your making in contrast. And so this is being in the image of God. Living, according, living your making is a divine calling and deserves all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is a divine calling. The divine creator of the universe has called you not to just do your job and benefit from that, but to do his bidding in your job to redeem other people, to show him off to others. You ever get a call from the boss? Hey, this is your boss. I need you to work this weekend. <sighs> right? Work, four-letter word. How about this? How about if God himself called you on the phone? Hey, this is God, your Lord and Savior. Remember me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? <clears throat> I've got some redemptive work for you to do. I need you to go and, and redeem these people and show me off and uh, I'll lift the heavy end of the log but my power and authority and everything is going with you. Can you work this weekend? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'll work this weekend. 
Do you see the difference in the attitude? <clears throat> so it's a divine calling. It also comes with an eternal reward that can't be taken away from you. <clears throat> it's a worthy legacy. I talked about children earlier in Psalm 127, and it goes on to say not only that children are a gift from God, but they are a legacy to the Lord, it says in one translation. My girls, I have three of them, I don't want to raise them to be a legacy to me to make me look good. I want them to be creators and cultivators and redeemers like their God and to make much of him and not much of me. That's a legacy to the Lord. Also, living your making produces obedient and prayerful employees who make the workplace better while honoring God and blessing others. So in this work being a divine calling, we are not just talking about church work, but all work except for work that is evil, immoral, or unethical. There is no redemption in work like being a drug dealer or a pimp or a human trafficker. This message is not for them. God has a special plan for them unless they can see the Redeemer. And that's our job. <clears throat> if you look down on anyone because of their work or feel inferior because of the work that you do, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You're looking at it through the wrong lens. And work reserves the right heart. Um, Ephesians 6, 5 is actually like and came before verse 22. It says it this way, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, serving with a sincere heart. This phrase actually means with joy and with zeal. Don't be a gloomy Christian at work. Wah, wah. <laughs> Debbie Downer. You know, like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Oh, no, show your joy and your zeal in, in the, the work and the sweaty pressure that you're under. No, in the Lord that has sent you there and give you the blessing of being able to have a job. I always tell people when they start complaining about, about work, it's like, wow, that's a real good problem to have. Yeah. <clears throat> but also don't get spiritually arrogant at work. Don't go in and start Bible thumping people and tell them that they're sinners and they're going to hell and stuff like that. That's not the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And also, don't become closed-mouthed and frustrated by spiritually blind people at work. You need to have a heart and a passion to help them see what you see. Jesus' words to these 77 that he sent out two by two, he said, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So when you're at work and the boss rolls up in a, you know, the, your, your dream car, or if he lives in the neighborhood in a house you'd like to live with, that's his reward. If he doesn't know the Lord, that's as far as it goes. And it might look good, but you need to pray and work so that he sees what you see. That he can look through that eternal lens. Um, <clears throat> and it's a matter of perspective, not only for you, but for them also. 
and that's what we need to leave people through. And another perspective that we need to have is that God uses everybody on the planet who is made in his image, which is every person that walks the earth. He uses them to feed us in many different ways. The farmer, the truck driver, the grocer, the mom who fixes the food. God works his plan bringing order out of chaos through all he has created. And we just need to see it and recognize it and be thankful for it and show it. When was the last time you thanked someone at the grocery store for working on Thanksgiving or Christmas or during the holidays or just throughout the week? Thank the guy at the gas station. Thank the police officer or someone. We need to appreciate what, show God's appreciation and God's thankfulness or the thankfulness that he puts in your heart for those around us, even if they don't know Christ. And so listen, you and everyone around you has a heavenly boss that you work for, whether you believe it or not. And so now let's talk about employers, the masters. Verse 1 in chapter 4 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So employers, your design and your calling to create, cultivate, and redeem is no different than your employees, except that you have more responsibility. What do I mean by that? Well, it says... It says, justly and fairly. So, number seven, you are an instrument responsible for justice and equity. Justice and equity in the workplace. And that comes with greater responsibility. What do I mean by that? You're God's representative too. But you're God's representative of authority and God is a servant leader. Your employees are to benefit from the standards of justice and equity that you provide in the workplace, not a self-serving justice, but God's standard of justice, a Christ-like sacrificial kind of justice. In equity, the people that have opportunity to work with you should have the opportunity to grow and increase according to their efforts, not just to build up the company, not just to make you money, don't browbeat a team and have a bunch of employees and maybe even however you work that they do a great job and they meet the, the, the department goals and you take all the credit for it. That's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. Justice and equity. A godly environment of justice and equity has the underpinnings of faith, hope, and love and is rich with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And to the contrary, the marks of a worldly workplace are obvious too. Um, <clears throat> now you guys know, uh, many of you know, if you don't know already, I worked in the restaurant nightclub for several years for quite a long time. And there were marks of that kind of workplace that I worked in, some of them. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works interesting word, of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't know what your work experience is, but that kind of describes some of the work environments I worked in. And it was, it was horrible. 
When I didn't know Christ, it was kind of fun. But God really did a work in my heart, and I, I, I lament those things, and especially participating in those things. And even if you can take all the sexual stuff out of there, there's still idolatry and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalry and dissension and division and envy. Does that describe your workplace? Sometimes it does. And so we've got some redeeming work to do. We've got some work to do in living according to our making. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I'd be naive to say that if you bring those things into your workplace, that people are going to go, oh, yay, thank you so much. But you still need to be that kind of person. And even if you bring those things into that workplace, it's sometimes when it's not reciprocated, it feels thankless. And it might feel that way sometimes, but you must stop looking for our, uh, your reward to come from earthly sources. You do it anyways. Number eight, if the quality of your work is based on how your company treats you, then you don't have a biblical view of work. Number nine, the key to fruitful and fulfilling work is to first look in. Look into what God has given you to do. Look into the giftings that he's had for you to do. And, and let me just say this. If God hasn't gifted you to do, like, be an astrophysicist or, or something like that, don't, don't be bitter about that. He's gifted you in a particular way, and only in a way that he has gifted you. Don't talk about uh, God's giftings to you in a, in a negative way. He has gifted you, but he has also redeemed your name. Your name is written in the book of life. So we look in, we consider that God has invited, uh, invited us into his creative and culture and redemptive plan, and then we look out to people in need. They need Jesus just like we need Jesus. So we look out and you say, okay, send me, God. What would you have me do while I work? And then you look up because that looking out and saying, send me, it's going to be some work. I say all the time, uh, uh, even, even at work, um, and when I was in the restaurant business, it was the restaurant business, you know, this would be really, really easy if it wasn't for the people. Right? And so we need to look up because God gives us our strength. God gives us our insurance, assurance, uh, and our insurance. Uh, and God is with us. And we are in and not of the world. And we were in and not of the world, especially at work, since our sweaty pressure is uh, filled, fills in our work in a fallen world, and it gets frustrating sometimes. God's word gives us some advice, <clears throat> lots of advice. So here it is. If your work is a dark place, shine your light. Shine your light. Matthew says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you. No, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If people challenge you or mock you uh, for your faith at work, Humbly show your reward. Humbly show your reward. God tells us, blessed are those when you, uh, 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So you need to show that peace that surpasses understanding to people. And what that'll do is it'll make you make them question. So that's the next point. If your attitude prompts sincere questions, share your faith. Share your faith. Galatians 2.22, a great verse to memorize. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a life-transforming truth that people need to hear and go, huh, what, I, what does that look like? I need that too. At our jobs, if we are Christ-centric employees or employers, people ought to be falling all over themselves to work with you or for you. And you might bring the fruits of the Spirit to your job place and still be persecuted, so what should my attitude be if I am? <clears throat> those verses go on to say, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, that includes work, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I see that those kinds of things happen most often in the workplace because that's where the most stringent games of King of the Hill are played. <clears throat> and it's hard and it's work because it's nailing our passions and desires to the cross. So we have to do work to crucify ourselves inside before we're going to show that attitude outside. And it takes the Holy Spirit working in us, and it takes you and I working that out and living it out through people outside of us if we're going to live out our redemption plan. That's living according to your making. So do you need to make a living? Absolutely. And in many ways, it's your responsibility, and you deserve to be paid fairly for what you do at work. But how do I make the most of my work experience? I hope you've gotten it already, but it's living according to your making. You want to twist someone's mind around and just watch their eyes roll back in their head? If you're a businessman, maybe you go on business trips and you find yourself on a plane sitting next to someone who strikes up conversation with you. Maybe you go and do networking and strike up conversations where people ask you what you do. Or maybe you're sitting at the DMV for three hours and someone strikes up a conversation with you and says, what do you do for work? Here's what you should tell them. You tell them that you are an ambassador for a king and a functional instrument of his kingdom plan of creating, cultivating, and redeeming the world. That's going to strike up a conversation. You want to love your job? Try bringing that kind of attitude to your workplace and see what God does. You are an instrumental part of God's functional creation plan to, and called to create, cultivate, and redeem, even at work. You can love your job, no matter what it is that you do, and you do that by living according to your making. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for creating us as you do for the heartbeat in our 
chest and the air in our lungs that you give us each and every day, that your mercies are new every morning. And thank us, thank you, God, for creating us in your image and inviting us into your creating and culturing and redemption plan. God, help us not to lose sight of that, even as we go about our business of work and whatever it else is that, you're, uh, that you give us to do. Help us to shine in our workplace that light that you've given us. Help us to show people the reward that we have in Christ, not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way. And Lord, give us opportunities to share our faith with people. Give us words to speak if we're afraid to speak, but give us those divine opportunities to share your love with people in word and in deed. And give us favor as we go about making a living, but more so help us to live according to our making for your glory and the good of others. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I'll be up here to pray with you. If you're new with us, I'd love to meet you. There'll be elders up here to pray also. And don't forget, if we can baptize you, if you haven't been baptized, would be honored to do so. It's on Easter weekend. And Matt's going to be over here to do a baptism orientation if that's what you're interested in. Thank you.